I uh, just in just in God giving us the word this morning, I just want to bring out uh, what what happened and what happened in Israel and when it happened. And those are key things, and I, I believe that God has a lot for us involved in that. The two religious, what they call in Israel, the two religious holidays. And we'll bring out, uh, God, through his word, will bring out the reality and meaning of those things. But that attack occurred in the midst of these two holidays. One is, it's called Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hoshana, and then Yom Kippur. Those were the two holidays that they were celebrating. And of course, that's when the enemy came in, the literal enemy came in and, and came in against them because that was a time of rest. They were at a time of rest. They were at a time to, to be taught these two things. So Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah, I should say, is a 10-day period. It's a 10-day period between when they began Rosh Hashanah and, and then up to Yom Kippur. Those 10 days there, 10 in the Bible, speak of, of a judicial judgment of God. And so up until this point, and Rosh Hashanah, that they were in between and coming to Yom Kippur. So again, the first holiday has to do with 10 days when they get ready for Yom Kippur, which was the Day of Atonement, the great day of atonement in the nation of Israel. And this is what they were getting ready to celebrate. But in between that time, those 10 days, they were, in a sense, to judge areas in their life where they needed to get right with God, to get right with himself, and to get right with others. And so that's what was going on. At this, right? And we were watching it. This is what was going on in Israel. We, we may not have been aware of it because maybe we've never been taught those things. But the reality is that's what was going on at that particular time. Now, Yom Kippur, it speaks of the atonement, the great day of atonement. Now for us, that great day was when we received Christ on Calvary. That great day of, of atonement has to do with propitiation. And we've been taught how, how God said he would provide himself a lamb in Genesis 22 and verse eight. That speaks of propitiation. And in John 1 and verse 24, the sin question, not the sins, personal sins, but in John 1, 29, the, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin. It's dealt with the sin question. That has to do with propitiation between God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. So for that to happen, for, for Christ to be a, our substitute whereby we would be reconciled, and we are as the church at this time, 
he had to be propitiated. And when that propitiation took place, now he said, now you can behold the Lamb, and you can behold that, that God has his his justice, his his integrity, his righteousness has been met. That was affronted by the sin of the whole world, all of ours, saved and unsaved. The sin question, because we were all born sinners in Psalm 51 and verse 5, that sin nature passed on in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Now, so that's happened for us already. Christ is, he is the propitiation for the Father. And because of that, now in, in 1 John 2, 1 and 2, he's our propitiation as a substitute and whereby we are reconciled to God. Now, getting back to those two holidays and where Israel was celebrating and, and worshiping at those particular times, at that particular time, they were doing it, and they were doing it at this time from a religious standpoint where others that were religious were observing it, others that didn't care about God or religion, and they were, they were just secular, meaning they were just living in the world. That's what was going on in Israel before they were attacked, those two people groups. The religious, and of course there are multitudes, I believe, that are Christians there that were born again and were teaching Christ. But for the Jews, what they're celebrating and what those 10 days, Rosh Hashanah, those 10 days to prepare them for the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, what the word, the Hebrew word was, is Teshuva. And Teshuva, it literally means to turn. To turn. And what they are doing, and they're doing it without Christ, <laughs> they're doing it without Christ. We have to remember, they said, and they're still saying it today in Exodus 19 and verse 8, and Exodus 24 and verse 3, tell us what to do and we'll do it. So, what they're doing is, though that 10 days is teaching, Rosh Hashanah is teaching them in every area of their life, to turn away from sin, away from sinning against God, away from sinning against each other, against each other, and turning back to Him. And as they would do that, they would approach the great day of atonement, and then they had taught, still to this day, that that great day, you're cleared of all your sins. Well, how could that be? without Jesus Christ, the Lamb, who would take away not only the sin of the world, has dealt with that, but the sins of those that would receive him. This is brought out in Leviticus, the 16th chapter, right there. But the Jews as a nation are so hardened, they even say it in their own Talmud and in their Torah, the things that they use in their Midras and all these different teachings that they have, that they are a stiff, a hard and stiff-necked people. And so those 10 days was preparing them. They're very stiff-necked, very hard. It's like us today. We, we are forgiven in Ephesians 4 and verse 32. We are, but do we forgive? And what keeps us as believers from forgiving one another when we've already been forgiven? See, that day has already happened for us. 
And it's pride. It's pride. When we make more of ourselves than God himself. When we make more of ourselves than God's lamb. This is where Israel still is. Now, I believe there's multitudes that do get saved. There's Christians over there leading them, many to the Lord. But the overwhelming majority, I believe, are in this place of unbelief. So they, they look at it as something that they're doing. God told them to do it. So they think they're doing it where they need to get right with God, and by getting right with God, they get right with themselves, and when they get right with themselves, they get right with those that they may have sinned against. And then finally, that great day, Yom Kippur, all the sins are dealt with. Then they start again, all through the year again, because Yom Kippur happens once a year, the great day of atonement. They still think that is going on. And, and you'll see these truths in, in the book of Leviticus brought out. And of course, in Exodus 25, 17 to 22, the mercy seat and all the types that this brings out. The one thing that they were learning and the one thing that even their rabbis teach to this day is that this turning, teshuva, is from the Hebrew word lashuv or shuv. S-H-U-V. That word in itself is used in the Hebrew language in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, over a thousand times. Over a thousand times. Where God would constantly, and, and that word, teshuva, from the word lashuv or shuv, S-H-U-V, is used predominantly in the book of Jeremiah and in the Psalms. We said recently, as we, as we all, and I'm saying as I read the scriptures and God shows them to me, the, the, the Psalms are loaded with tears. Loaded with tears. And they're loaded with the tears of Israel. Just think of the tears that they're crying now. Multitudes in that country. And what does all of this have to do with us? And it's something that even their rabbis teach. This is something that, that they teach that as individuals, Jewish individuals, is that they need to do it constantly. It's not a one and done thing. It's a constant turning. With that word, shuv, S-H-U-V, or teshuv, with the T, a little apostrophe on the T, and then shuva, it means to turn again, to keep turning again. So to turn away from something, and for us as Christians, it's turning away from the flesh, turning away from a lack of forgiveness, because what they are taught for the great day of atonement, Yom Kippur, what they were being taught is, listen, you don't come so that you yourself can be relieved of all those sins that people came, that they did against you. It's you yourself need to be dealt with. That's that word, teshuva, to turn, to turn. You see, when God gets everything right about us, we're in a right relationship with him. We are, because we have forgiveness. Remember, we have that. We have that peace that that forgiveness gives us because of the cross in Colossians 1.20. We have that. And now we have peace with God because Christ is our peace. 
in Ephesians 2 and verse 14. And that's the one thing that they want. They just want to settle in their own land. And that was land was promised, by the way. They didn't colonialize it. They didn't come and, and, and take, try to take land that originally belonged to the Palestine, the Palestinians. No, that belonged to God. That, that belonged to the Jews from God over two, well over 2,000 years ago. That was their land. It's never been a land issue there, ever. Never. It's never been about a two-state. That's why this peace accord, as a result of, of Hamas in Gaza, down in Gaza, and up closer towards Lebanon and Hezbollah and these two factions, you see, it's a whole Arab, the whole Arab nation under Satan is against the Jews. It's not a land issue. It's to exterminate the Jews, like Hitler tried under the inspiration of Satan, tried to exterminate them. And that's why, Chris, that's why we said the two most hated groups today on the planet are Jews and Christians, because Jesus warned us. He's, he warned his disciples, Jewish disciples, and he in we are one in John fifteen eighteen. If they hated me first, they're going to hate you. If they kept my sayings in John fifteen and verse twenty five, they're going to keep yours. If they hated me without a cause in Psalm thirty four and 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 verse nineteen, and if that my enemies that hate me, David said, are more than the hairs of my head. He said in Psalm sixty nine and verse four. Well, that's what they're experiencing, the Jews. The reason they're experiencing this is because they rejected Jesus Christ. In John 1.11, he came unto his own, the nation of Israel, and his own rejected him and said no. And now they're left trying to do all these things. Rosh Hashanah, 10 days of get, being prepared and dealing with things. They think that's something that they're doing, that God gave them to do. And then Yom Kippur now, then finally their sins will be dealt with. Well, are they? If they don't have Christ, who's the sacrificial lamb. So that teshuva is teaching them to turn and receive as individuals the forgiveness. You see, that's what the atonement deals with. Because everything else is just a blame game. When I don't forgive, for us as the church today, when I don't forgive, what am I doing? I am holding on to resentment and anger and hardness in the place of what Christ has already done in me, holding it against another. Lack of forgiveness. We've been taught, all of us, by God faithfully in his word, that forgiveness is God, the confirmation of God's love. And that's Yom Kippur for the Jews. We already have it. We have that. And so that is something, Yom Kippur, and they even teach, the, the rabbis teach their people to that to this day, that Yom Kippur is not about you, God dealing with the sins of others against you, that you held an unforgiveness against them and resentment and hold yourself in a prison. No, it is for the individual. Oh boy, we could get that one right. You see, because it's everything.
comes down to us in our relationship for us as believers, Christians, those that are his church in Matthew 16, 18, and in 1 Corinthians 3, 10, 11. Uh, the church that's the, the foundation of Christ himself. Everything about it is between us and God. You see, we can't blame anybody for anything. We don't blame anyone for anything. For everything in this sense that's happening to Israel in their blindness and hardness. Hardness of heart. And, and what is it? It's pride. You see that 10 days, Rosh Hashanah, those 10 days is dealing with pride in your life. And how do they do it? How do they think they do it without a Savior? How can we? We have already have that forgiveness. We already have it in our lives in this way. So that whole attack came. That whole thing happened. That whole thing happened to them at this particular time. I wonder why. I wonder why. You know? And, and does God love those people? Absolutely. Is he for them, the Jews? Absolutely. Was God for me and for you long before we ever received his son? Absolutely. Is God willing that any perish? In, in Ezekiel 18 and verse 23 and, and 24, is God willing that any should perish in Second Peter 3 and verse 9? Absolutely not. Not. But everything that they're striving for as a nation, they're doing without Jesus Christ. They're still waiting for the Messiah, for Moshiach to come back. I think it's very interesting because God brought back to my mind. I remember in 1995, I remember that when Benjamin Netanyahu, who is now in power as the prime minister, the head in Israel, said in 1995, he said, I believe I will be the man in power when Moshiach, when Messiah comes back. But also what this is doing, and I can tell you of my own personal testimony, what this is doing for me is God is dealing with areas in my life, in every single area. And while I do feel and mourn in tears, for those people in Israel, the Jews there, and what's happening to them. Uh, if you do a study on that, just everything that they've been through as a nation since they rejected Christ in John 1.11 is, is, is appalling. It's appalling. And for most of the Jews, they either live in a religious sense, still without God. And then the secular in the world not caring about it, but they make they make everything about Israel. And there's two groups there in Israel. They make it everything about religion, what they're doing to be prepared for their Messiah to come back, who they missed in John 1.11, or the secular ones who don't even care about God or what they call religion, and they're just living in the world. But in both cases, is there any difference? And there isn't any difference. There isn't. But God's going to have his way with Israel. And, and Paul talked about it. He talked about it and the Holy Spirit had him speak about it in Galatians 6 and verse 16. True Israel, where, where, where multitudes will finally see him and completely say, as a nation, they missed him. They missed it. 
that he was and is the Messiah. They missed him, that he is their shepherd. My God, they're, they're his sheep. You read in Psalm 95, the people in Israel, and even way beyond that, back into the Old Testament, all the way up through Psalms, and that's what that does. They're called the sheep of his pasture. And what can sheep do without a shepherd? The nation of Israel. They're trying to do everything on their own. And we know what sheep, sheep can't do four things. They can't clean themselves, protect themselves, guide themselves, and what? Anybody remember? They can't clean themselves, feed themselves, guide themselves, and then what? I'll leave it up and we can talk about it at a different time. But those four things the sheep can't do. They cannot do those four things themselves. They have to have a shepherd. That's John the 10th chapter. They've got to have a shepherd. They're trying to do it in a religious way, which they cannot do, because everything that's happened since they became a nation, a state, the state of Israel, when they ran up the Star of David, their flag, under the Harry S. Truman administration, Harry S. Truman, when he was the, the president of the United States, and there was all kinds of things that led up to that, so many different things. But that was May 17th, uh, 1948, I believe, or 47, I believe it's 48, when they ran up that flag and they became, uh, they, they said that they were a nation. Have they ever been God's nation? Has God allowed them? Yes. Does he love them still in their hardened state? Yes. Yep, he still does. But that wasn't a work of God. That was a work of man. And you see the two things there in Israel, the two people groups, really. They're religious and the secular. They don't care. National. Everything's national. They want to be their own nation. They just want to survive in that little sliver the size of of the state of New Jersey. They just want to be left alone and have peace. Have they ever had it since they rejected Christ? Will they ever have it until he comes back? They won't, but they will have it because Christ will come back and he will. But for us, what does this do? And how, even in my, my own personal case, how has God been using this to deal with areas of my life where there's not forgiveness, where in areas I function in ignorance or rebellion and stubbornness and, and refuse to face him. So teshuva, teshuva literally means to turn. No, I don't want to. Turn. No, forgive that one, Christian, you and Christ. Forgive that one that hurt, hurt you. No, no, I want forgiveness. I'll accept forgiveness for all of my sins. Yom Kippur. Atonement, finished work. But to them, no, I don't. And what is God constantly doing? He's constantly turning us to face him. And ultimately, this will happen. God himself will turn them. Psalm 25 and verse 16. Psalm 80 and verse 3. Psalm 85 and verse 4. Jeremiah 30 and verse 3. And Hosea 14. And that chapter there. God's going to turn them ultimately. Has he turned us positionally to face him? 
We face him in Christ, don't we? Face him. And he's teaching us on our way as, as the church to come off the earth in the rapture. He's teaching us. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm going to close soon, but go into this in detail this week. In, in detail of how 2 Peter 1, 19-21 works in us. Because we have Christ in us, the light dawning in us right now. And, and, and the dark night of his physical absence in John 9, 4 and 5, yes. But he's the light that's guiding us to our face-to-face -face meeting in the rapture in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, and in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, brought out again very beautifully in Revelations 4 and verse 1. But I want to get back to my personal experience of what, how God is using what is going on in Israel to deal with me. me. I'm talking about me, myself, personally. And this is what Paul, through the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, teaches us. And here it is. This is Romans 15. I'm going to just read in verse 1. It says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. That means the more grace I've received, the more strength that he's given me, the more I can help others. To bear the infirmities of the weak. And listen, here's our life, not to please ourselves. See, everything that Israel's trying to do, they're trying to do it to please themselves, not God. Because who's the only one who could ever and has ever pleased the Father? In John 8 and verse 29 and Romans 15 and verse 3, it's Christ. He's the only one that ever did all those things that pleased the Father. Ever. And the Lord will not share the glory of his Son who glorified him in John 13, 31 and 32, and in Isaiah 42 and verse 8, he will not share his glory. And that's what, he's not going to share his glory with an unrepentant religious people. And still, and even secular ones that don't even care. But does God love them? Yes. Do, do I love them in Christ? Yes. Should I pray for their peace? And it's going to happen, but should I pray for those? I, absolutely, in tears. Pray for the peace of Israel in Psalm 122 and verse 6. But we are not to please ourselves. That's what keeps us from turning to him. That's what keeps us from receiving forgiveness for ourselves and keeps us from forgiving others as Christians. That's what does it. Because we are too interested in pleasing ourselves, living for ourselves. That's why Paul said, in Acts 20, 24. And it wasn't any braggadocio thing he was talking about in Acts 20, 24. I don't count my life dear unto myself. Well, what was his own life dear unto himself? What did he consider it in the sight of God? He considered it in Philippians 3, 8, outside of Christ to be dung. But he said, I, he said, I don't count my own life dear to myself that I might finish my course. You see, our course has to do with the life that Christ has given us. We don't just live that. We do live it personally between God and us, but we live it for each other too. And that can't continue. A right relationship without you and I experientially can't continue without turning, a constant turning, to be reminded. We don't have to get, receive Christ again 
But the fact that we have, we can keep turning and confess in 1 John 1, 9. Verse 2 of Romans 15. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. We're not living our lives trying to make ourselves as comfortable and as happy as we can be. Because that's what they want in Israel. They will never have without Christ. We will never have peace or happiness, true happiness, without Christ. And that's why he's even given us that and made it possible and given us the forgiveness of sins in Ephesians 4 and verse 32. But here it says this, for our good, to, for, for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself. But as it is written, the repro and as it is written, and he's quoting Psalm 69, verse 9, and Psalm 69 and verse 20 here. For whatsoever things were written, eaten, uh, verse 3, for even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached you fell on me. You see, everything, they don't realize it. Everything that the enemy through people is doing against Israel, Hamas and Hezbollah, is it's because of hatred against God. Because God chose the Jews to be his earthly people as much as he chose you and I to be his heavenly people. And the reproaches fell on him. For whatsoever things were written, here it is, Whatsoever things were written aforetime are written for our learning. We're learning. God was showing me. Do you see this, Ed? Do you see what's happening to them? And do you see experientially what can happen in you? In teaching them with this Rosh Hashanah, 10 days of getting them ready to face, have their sins dealt with, Yom Kippur, but it was personal. It wasn't even about dealing with the things that others did to them. It was their things between them and God. That's what it's about for us. And that's why we can forgive others. That's why we won't even be moved. Because when we're yoked up to Jesus, whatever anybody does to us, we can still remain meek and lowly, humble and gentle like Jesus. When he was rejected in, in that 11th chapter of Matthew, and then showing us the way in 11, 28 to 30, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. You think he needs, you think they need that, Israel, to turn to him? Come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, trying to deal with their own sins, Rosh Hashanah, making it what they think it is, and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, once a year, and then do it all over again and keep doing it all over again. This goes into the beautiful chapters of Hebrews 8, 9, and 10. Jesus, he doesn't keep doing that. He did it once and for all for us. And so here it says, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through what? Patience. What is love? In 1 Corinthians 13 4, it's patient. And comfort of the scriptures might have hope. We do have a hope. And it's one that doesn't make us to be ashamed. We see this. In, in, in Romans 5, 5, because Christ is that hope in us in Colossians 1 and verse 27. They're experiencing all kinds of shame and hatred there right now, but not for us in Christ. But we can certainly learn by that and glean 
from prophecy. We have a more certain word in 2 Peter 1.19 of prophecy because we have Christ in us. He's lighting up our way until finally that, that day dawning, and that means when we come to him finally face to face in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12, when we have our own intimate fellowship with him as individuals in, in, in Revelations 2 and verse 17. So as we wrap this up this morning, we can see verse 15, verse 5, Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another to Christ Jesus. You see, this is, this is what it was teaching them. It was teaching they can't do, they can't experience properly Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Those 10 days in between to judge self was about self, not others. Well, you know, Lord, if they hadn't done this, I never would have done that. You know, no, it's us. <laughs> not the blame game in Genesis, the third chapter, in those first 15 verses. It's not the blame game through the subtlety of the enemy telling why we can't forgive when already we've been forgiven and a Christian that sins against us, have they been forgiven? Yes. Yes, just as much. Well, now the God of patience in consolation grant you to be like-minded one one toward another. That means if I'm right, and that's what he was that's what Yom Kippur is teaching the Jews. It's not about what others did against you, it's about what you did against God. You get that right now, you're going to be taken care of. No matter what they do, you will be taken care of. And God will make sure of it. And so this is what it says that you be like minded toward one another according to Jesus Christ. Can they be like minded toward each other? No, they haven't received their Messiah as their Savior. We have, but can we when our experience is one of pride and a lack of forgiveness? And blaming others, ultimately, truthfully, we see it in Genesis 3, 1 to 15, and down through. We see very clearly, we see it very, very, very clearly that they were just blaming God for everything. That's what's behind the ignorance and the stubbornness and rebellion is blaming God, not wanting to be accountable. And where did that come from? It came from Satan in Ezekiel 28 and verse 15. Wherefore, that you may be, in, in Romans 15, 6, that you may be with one mind and one mouth, glorify God, even as even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Could could we be received if Christ hadn't been the propitiation to the Father and then the Father giving to him, uh, giving him to us as a substitute whereby we would be reconciled? Is that based upon forgiveness? It most certainly is. That's that Hebrew word, teshuva, turn, turn. It speaks of forgiveness, the individual, the individual. So we learn by these things. And then we see here in 1 Corinthians 10, and here's what we're learning still as we watch there in prophecy and everything that they have there and they're trying to protect it. They, are, they will be literally overrun and destroyed until Christ comes back because he promised that until Shiloh, Christ comes back in Genesis 49 and verse 10 to give them the peace that they so deeply desire and rest in peace and comfort from all their enemies. The Old Covenant and the Psalms are filled with this. 
Until he comes, they won't have peace. Do you and I already have peace? Yes. Can I experience the peace that's mine in my, in my experience if it's not equal to my position in Christ? What gets in the way of peace with us? Pride. What gets in the way of us and our own relationships with God? Pride. We're going to do something. We don't need God. But we're going to do it for him. We're going to be like the Jews of old. Tell us what to do, God, and we'll do it. You know how much teaching like that is that enters into the church today? Finally, closing in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant. You understand? Ignorant. That you don't know these things. The things that God's bringing out to us this morning. That you, that you, that you are not to be ignorant. Unknowing or uncaring about them. How all that our fathers, this is Paul, a Jew, but in Christ, telling these Jews and telling these Corinthians, our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. See that? And he, that's his Exodus 13, 20, and 21, and going into the 14th chapter of Exodus in the types. All were baptized unto Moses, a type of Christ. We don't get baptized unto men like teaching we had many decades ago. You don't get baptized unto a man. Moses was the type of Christ. We get baptized unto him, you see. And, and, and we're all baptized in, unto Moses in the cloud and in, and in the sea. You see, these types that are being brought up. And to turn, always to turn, learning how to turn. Slow down and learn. Learning how to turn is something we constantly need to, to, to learn. Because to turn, teshuva, <laughs> repentance, to learn to turn, to turn speaks of safety and protection. That's what it speaks of. This is what we're to learn and not to be ignorant of as we look at, at Israel today and pray for them in and, 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 and tears and to pray for them. In all, in Second and First Corinthians ten, in all did eat the same spiritual meat, and all did drink the same spiritual drink. You're getting into the uh, rock that was cleft, and you'll see all these in the book of Exodus and the types that point to Christ. They're still waiting. Israel still waiting for Christ to come back when he already has, and they missed him through pride and hardness of heart. They missed love. They missed forgiveness. They missed rest. They missed peace. That's all of ours positionally in Christ. But when I, when pride gets in the way, I, I myself miss all of those things. And that's what it means to live pleasing yourself and not God and others. And losing ourselves in his love for us and for others. All did drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock and the type was Christ. But many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. They just refused him, period, like multitudes today. They absolutely, continually refuse him in terms of salvation position, like multitudes of Christians and like we could be, we refuse him experientially by not forgiving others, learning to turn, 
They were overthrown in the wilderness, the world system. Now these things are our types. There are examples, it says, in 1 Corinthians 10, 6, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. Two things, two forms of lust that are going on in Israel. The lust of religious pride, doing something for God without him, his one sacrifice. And then loving the world, secular, just a nation. We just want to have a nation and have peace. And 1 John 2.15, love not the world and neither the things that are in the world. Boy, Christians, we as Christians need to understand that, to learn by that. Now, all these things were types, examples, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted, neither be idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people, listen, our country, listen, listen, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. World system, pleasing ourselves. That's all they want to do there in Israel, be left alone. Isn't that what we want to do when he's not our experience? Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three twenty three thousand. You see this in the book of Numbers and Numbers a 21st chapter and I believe the 6th verse. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents, types of sickness. Neither murmur. Oh boy. Christian. Don't murmur. Don't blame. Try and don't live blaming others. Because really you're blaming God. Neither murmur as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer, Satan. The thief comes to steal, kill and destroy in John 10, 10 Now all these things happen unto them for examples, for types, for us. And they are written for our admonition, for our warning. Unto whom the ends of the age, not world, the ends of this particular age are come. Wherefore, let him that thinks he stands and think we can do anything without him, without Christ, take heed lest he fall. Lest he fall. This is what's going on. And in, in, in tears and in brokenness, uh, do, we, uh, do we pray uh, for the peace of Israel? Absolutely. We absolutely do and we should. And at the same time, being thankful and learning from them where they are because of the hardness, blindness, and hardness of their hearts towards, towards God through the deception of pride and arrogance and denial. And, and God forbid, but we are so close, as we said, and we'll close, we are so close to that second advent coming, again, in Matthew, the 24th chapter, this, these are the days of sorrow. These are the beginning of the days of sorrow. And we will be raptured out in Revelations 3.10. Don't believe the ones that say you have to go through the tribulation period. Don't believe the ones that say there's not any rapture. And that only certain men in the 1800s began to teach it. It was taught centuries before that. Centuries before that. There will be a rapture. There will be. His heavenly people. That's why we meet him in the clouds of the air. Then we come back with him on the earth in that second advent. And we are so close. We are so close. And Father, we thank you that we can learn 
Oh my God, what these precious people are going through. What has happened in American families too? Because of a lack of forgiveness, because of a lack of proper teaching, because of a lack of a savior. Things that, some of the things that I hear and that Mike and I, Mike Fenton and Verlson, think some of the things we talk about that people go through and have been through. And it just breaks our heart and brings in a godly sorrow, yet it, it doesn't have regret because there's hope for so many. There's hope for so many, Lord. And uh, I just pray for all those in Israel and Ukraine, all our precious brothers and sisters that are being tortured now because, because Christ is in them in the world. Satan hates them. All those in Israel too, we just pray for them, Father those precious people right now when we can sit down in our homes and have a place of rest, plenty of food, plenty of drink, or they're being tortured. Not that we're not to enjoy these things. We are, and to be thankful for them too. To be thankful, but to keep them in prayer. And, and uh, so we can learn by them. And thank you, Father, for the precious scriptures and, and, and that we can learn through the Holy Spirit as he takes the things of Christ and shows them unto us. We're so thankful. And we're to be thankful for all things in Ephesians 5.20 and in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18, to be thankful in all things. To be thankful. To be thankful, pure. People with a pure conscience free to worship you and to celebrate who you are as we're on our way. To be raptured or before we the rapture or doing during the rapture to face you, never again to be separated from you and those loved ones that have received you. And we pray for our loved ones at this time, for people everywhere to receive Christ. This is great opportunity for multitudes, even in maybe the worst circumstances that we could even imagine. Oh God, I pray they cry out to you. And when me, you say when we do in Psalm 56 and verse 9, you will deal with the enemies. Father, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.